Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters is the best sports bar in Navy Yard, located just across the street from Nationals Park. Also a great place to check out if you're headed to Audi Field. Make sure to check out their self-pour beer wall and unlimited TVs. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now the pitch. Swinging a ground ball toward the middle. Abrams to his left. Can't make the play. It goes behind him in the center field, and Hayward keeps on going. He's into third base. So C.J. Abrams to his left, a possible double play ball, and he never came up with it and deflected it out into center field. And now the Dodgers have runners on first and third with nobody out. Williams the pitch, swing and a line drive, base hit over the leaping Smith, down the right field line into the corner. Freeman rounding second back to the bag with a line drive double into the right field corner. Extra out really proving costly to the Nationals as the Dodgers plate three here in the bottom of the fifth inning. It's Los Angeles three and Washington one. Now Williams sets. Here's a pitch. Swung on. Belted a deep right center field. Back goes call to the warning track. At the wall. Going. Going. Gone. Goodbye. A three-run homer for J.D. Martinez. And this inning has really blown up on Trevor Williams and the Nationals. And welcome to Nats Chat for Tuesday, May 30th, 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who was at Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. So Memorial Day is the first of the three traditional holiday checkpoints in the MLB season. July 4th and Labor Day would be the other holiday checkpoints. It happens to work out that the Nats with their game on Memorial Day reached the exact one-third point of their regular season, game number 54. The game, though, did not work out. The Nats lost at the uh, National League West leading and now National League leading Los Angeles Dodgers 6-1 late night on Monday night. So the Nats now are 23-31. and They are on pace for 69 wins off in the uh, 2022 regular season, having a major league worst 55 wins. A 14-game improvement would be good, but the Dodgers now are a National League best 33-22. and And uh, Mark, you know, we talked about this a bit on the last installment of the podcast. The Dodgers are not the Kansas City Royals. And so when you make a mistake or two, even the mistake or two can prove to be uh, lethal. And uh, that ended up being the case for the Nats on Monday night. For four innings, they're right there with them. Trevor Williams is pitching really well, I thought, to that point. The lineup squeezed out a run. Would have been nice to add a little more to that. But as soon as that bottom of the fifth turned the way that it did, it felt like that was the game. And sure enough, that was the game because nothing else happened the rest of the way. I'm, I'm sure we're going to talk about 
what precipitated that, then everything that happened after that. But just to the larger point at the third way mark of the season at 23 and 31, I think all things considered, you have to be pretty pleased with this. There are games that could have been won, to be sure. But I think you'd rather be in a position where there are games that you felt like you could have won. You could have had a better record than this, given the situation they're in. This has not been a case of a lot of games that they've been blown out. Even this one, a five-run margin, was about as big of a blowout, if you want to call it that, as they've had in a while. So I think that's a really good sign for them. And at 23 wins times three is 69. If this team were to win 69 games this year, I think most people would think that was pretty nice, right? Uh, I think absolutely, especially off what you know expectations were. Going into this season, I mean, you know, I had the thought going into this season, and I know that I was not alone in this thought, things might be worse this season. You know, it might be a 52-win season for the Nats. I mean, you didn't know what to think. So, yeah, I mean, I think that with this season, it's impossible not to feel appreciably better about things. You know, I do wonder, the Nats, for the most part, have been pretty fortunate in terms of injury. There have been some injuries, but, you know, this team has yet to really incur like a devastating blow to where a key guy is out for weeks or months. You know, you wonder if, God forbid, a Mackenzie Gore or a Josiah Gray gets injured. You know, Lane Thomas gets injured. I guess you have to say him. You know, what might be the case? You know, the organizational depth will be put to the test. But yeah, I mean, I think every Nats fan would have signed up for a 14-game improvement from last season to this season. Yeah, 100%. And as we've talked about, it's not just the improvement of wins, but it's who is doing it. It's young guys are kind of at the forefront of this headlined by the two young starters you just named. I, I think way back to 2007, a Nationals team that was in clear rebuilding mode, just kind of starting out, and they overachieved. And they won 73 games that year, if I remember right. And there was some optimism among some in the organization. The problem is the guys who did it that year were not the foundational players other than Orion Zimmerman. It was Dimitri Young and Ronnie Belliard, those types of guys. No, this is a very different situation now where the contributors in many ways are the foundational building blocks. And so I think that adds even more to the reason for optimism, the way they're playing. Now, I do think when you look at the schedule coming up, and you alluded to this, we could see a little market correction here in the next couple of weeks when they're facing some much better competition, the Dodgers, the Phillies, the Braves, the Astros. This is not the Tigers and the Royals anymore. And so I would not be surprised if we see that winning percentage go down a little bit. As we saw in this game, there's a pretty clear difference in the rosters between these two teams. And the Dodgers, when you give them just a little bit of a crack to break through, they bust it wide open and they turn that game really into kind of a non-competitive game the rest of the way. Now, against Kansas City, you get away with that kind of stuff. And we actually saw the Nats get away with it. Here at Dodger Stadium, it's a lot harder to pull that off. So Trevor Williams was the Nats starting pitcher on Monday night. He ended up having one of the stranger final lines that you'll ever see a starting pitcher have. Trevor Williams allowed six runs all of which were unearned in five innings. And all six of the unearned runs came in a six-run Dodgers fifth. Williams, for the game, gave up six hits, a homer, a double, and four singles. He issued three walks. He recorded three strikeouts. He threw 90 pitches, 55 strikes versus 35 balls. The game basically was that six-run Dodgers fifth, in which Williams allowed six unearned runs. All of the runs were unearned thanks to a fielding error by shortstop C.J. Abrams. He botched the fielding of a potential double playgrounder by Miguel Vargas near the middle of the infield. But Williams, in the inning, gave up a homer, a double, two singles, 
and two walks. You know, I feel like every few games I'm bringing this up to you, but this to me is another instance of official scoring in baseball needing to be altered. And I get that the official scores are abiding by the rules, so I'm not blaming the scores, but this to me was ridiculous that all of these runs were unearned for Trevor Williams in that inning because of this error by C.J. Abrams. I mean, Williams in this inning really ended up falling apart. The two big blows, a two-out, two-run double by one of the all-time Nationals killers, Freddie Freeman, toward the right field corner for a 3-1 Dodgers lead. And then the big blow, a two-out, three-run, opposite field home run by J.D. Martinez to right center field for a 6-1 Dodgers lead. So yeah, I mean, the error by Abrams was bad. That was not a good play. But geez, uh, you didn't have to unravel the way that Williams ended up unraveling. 100%. I've never liked that rule when it comes to official scoring. And, you know, it is what the rule is. It's not like their discretion to decide what to do. The rule is you turn the air into an out and play out the rest of the inning. And if you get to a third out before any runs score, well, then all the runs thereby are by definition are unearned. But let's be clear about this. That the air is early in the inning. It would not have been the third out. They were hoping to turn two. You can never assume the double play is the other part of it. There's still a few batters later before we now get to when things really start to come undone. And all he needed to do is record one more out against any of these guys. And instead, he goes single, two-run double, walk, three-run homer, single. So Trevor himself admitted he needs to do a better job. You have to pick up your teammates. Guys make errors. It's going to happen. It's your job as a pitcher to pick them up and not let an inning spiral out of control. And so I do think in some ways Trevor Williams gets off the hook here and all the focus ends up on C.J. Abrams. And yes, it was an error, but it also was a well-struck grounder to his left. This was not right at him and it required you know a little bit of effort to make the play. I'm, all I'm saying is, yes, he should have made the play, but it's not a hundred out of a hundred times kind of play. It's a you know 98 out of a hundred times kind of play. Look, C.J. Abrams has played pretty well at shortstop. This is only his second error of the month at shortstop. So I think he's done a pretty good job. Yes, you would love for him to be flawless there. Errors are going to happen. It's part of the game. It's unfortunate when they're costly. But in this case, there was an opportunity by Trevor Williams to pick his teammate up and get out of that without nearly as much damage. So Davey Martinez, as we've discussed, is in a uh, tricky predicament these days with his bullpen. He did something on Monday night that you haven't seen Davey do a lot of with Trevor Williams this season, and that is have Williams face a lineup a third time through in a game. And of course, this was not just any lineup. This was the lineup of the Mighty Dodgers. I don't blame Davey for doing this, but I mean, it's hard to ignore that third time through, he ended up having that uh, six-run fifth inning in which, yes, all of the runs were unearned. Do you think that the next time Davey faces this decision with Trevor Williams, we don't see him face a lineup third time through? Or are we at a point in the season to where you got to start trying to get a guy, especially a veteran pitcher like Trevor Williams, to face teams third times through orders? Right. I think in a different scenario, if this is a really meaningful game in a pennant race or certainly in October, you're going to have a quicker trigger and, and make that move. You'd be more aggressive and make that move preemptively. But right now for this team, we just talked about all weekend long, how many relievers weren't available because of their usage. Are you now going to start this series by pulling your starter that quickly? And let's be clear, his pitch count was really low. The end of the fourth, he's at 50 pitches. Even after that sequence to go through the bottom of the lineup with the air and the inning continuing before you now get back to the top of the lineup again, he's somewhere in the 60s at that point. You're going to pull your starter at 60 pitches 
in the fifth inning, and he's only allowed at that point maybe one run to actually cross the plate. I don't think you can do that, not unless you've got a superhuman bullpen with lots of depth and lots of arms, and you're clearly doing this all the time and treating Trevor Williams as something less than a full-fledged starter. I'm not surprised at what happened. You face a really good lineup a third time, a pitcher like this, this is probably going to happen from time to time, but I cannot fault the decision, and I think it really raises red flags if a manager is pulling a starter that quickly, that low a pitch count when he's been that successful, and now asking your bullpen to cover four plus innings again at a time when they've been so overworked to begin with. Nat's bullpen on Monday night did end up being really good. Two Nats relievers combined for three perfect innings. Thaddeus Ward, two perfect innings with two strikeouts. Rosmo Ramirez, a, a perfect bottom of the eighth. And actually, with all of the runs being unearned, your Trevor Williams ERA does go down to 393. So, you know, here we are a third of the way into the season and three of the Nats' five starters in the rotation have ERAs for the season under four, which I think would have stunned people had you said that to them in late March, early April. But yeah, I mean, Josiah Gray, Mackenzie Gore, Trevor Williams, each guy has an ERA under four. Although, as we just discussed with Trevor, the ERA going down on Monday night is a bit misleading. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Some amazing news from Window Nation. You can modernize and reinvest in your home today with new windows from Window Nation, all while capitalizing on Window Nation's best deal of the year. 0% financing for five years. Unheard of. Zero interest for five years. And Window Nation will give you two free windows for every two windows that you buy. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. But act soon because this deal does expire at the end of the month. Protect and increase the value of your home today by taking advantage of this great offer. Again, 0% financing for five years and two free windows for every two windows that you buy. And by the way, that goes for any style of window from Window Nation. And there's no limit. Save thousands of dollars on your new windows and save money on energy bills all while upgrading the look and feel of your home. 866-90NATION or windownation.com. 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. But don't forget, this deal does expire at the end of the month. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 2-0 pitch, swung on, ground ball right side and threw a base hit right field. Vanessa scores from third. Dickerson on his way to the plate. Here's the throw, the tag, and he is out at the plate. Jason Hayward with a perfect throw to Will Smith. And on one hop, he fields it and tags out Dickerson to end the inning. Well, the Nats for this game on Monday night did not have much happening offensively. Just one run, just six hits, just two walks. The six hits were made up of two doubles and four singles. One of the doubles was by Corey Dickerson, who continues to hit since coming back from injury. Dickerson on Monday night as an ad starting left fielder and number six batter, one for three with a double and a walk. He and what ended up being only a one-run second for the Nats had a one-out double to right field on a one-two pitch, but he then got thrown out at home for the third out by Dodgers right fielder Jason Hayward on a C.J. Abrams two-out RBI single through the right side of the infield wasn't necessarily easy to uh, dissect this play in watching the game on TV. We know about Jason Hayward. He's been a defensive stud for years. How egregious of a send was the send of Dickerson by Nats third base coach Gary DeSarcina? I thought it was quite egregious. Let's begin with this fact. The ball was hit 113 miles an hour, the hardest hit by a national, any national this year, and the hardest hit of C.J. Abrams' career. So the ball's getting to Hayward really quick. There's two outs, so I understand you want to be a little bit more aggressive. But let's remember who we're talking about here. This is a veteran guy who doesn't run well to begin with, and oh, by the way, just missed more than a month with a calf injury. So I did not love that. And the weird part is that it came moments after on the Dickerson double, Joey Manessis, who was on first, was held at third as Hayward still trying to corral the ball all the way at the warning track in right field. Now, Joey Manessis is not a great runner. So I understand you're maybe not going to be so super aggressive with him, but it felt like at least watching the two of those plays simultaneously from my perch where you can see the entire field in front of you, I thought Manessas had a much better chance of scoring than Dickerson did, and he was thrown out by a couple of steps. It was not even a bang-bang play at all. So I get two outs. It's maybe a little different situation. You also look at who's coming up next. You'd have Alex Call, the number nine hitter. So are you going to take your chances on him getting the job done with two outs? I didn't love it. I really would have loved for them to try for the bigger inning. But I also go back to earlier in the inning after the Dickerson double. You have Cabert Ruiz come up with a chance to keep the rally going, and he fouls out to the catcher on, I believe, the second pitch. That's been kind of an issue for him as well, making quick outs early in at bat. So there was good stuff from them that inning, but it did feel like they squandered an opportunity to turn that into a much bigger inning. And oh, as it turned out, that was their best chance all night to do anything offensively. Yeah, there just was not a lot going for the Nats offensively in this game. And look, you ended up losing 6-1. It's not like you lost, you know, 3-1 or 2-1. So, you know, that run that didn't score with Dickerson ended up not necessarily proving crucial. But yeah, I mean, in a game like this against a team like this, you say to yourself in a moment like that, boy, that could come back to bite you because like every little mistake you feel like can add up against a team 
as good as the Dodgers. So Abrams had the RBI single. The other double by the Nats in the game was by Dominic Smith. He in the top of the fourth had a two-out double to the right center field gap on an 0-2 pitch. And we did have Lane Thomas late in the game extending his two streaks. In case you're unaware, Lane Thomas now has an on-base streak of 25 games and a hitting streak of 14 games. Uh, Lane on Monday night, one for four, but the one is what mattered. He got the single top of the eighth, a two-out single through the left side of the infield. But you mentioned Capert Ruiz and Alex Cole. Boy, are those guys struggling right now. Ruiz on Monday night, 0 for 4. He is having a woeful month of May. His OPS for this season is down to 628. And Alex Cole on Monday night, 0 for 3. He too is having a terrible May. His OPS for this season is down to 613. I mean, you know, Capert Ruiz is the Nats' number one catcher. We get that. Alex Cole is not here to be an everyday outfielder for the Nats. He has become the team's everyday center fielder with Victor Robles continuing to be out with back spasms. Victor Robles was placed on the 10-day injured list on May 8th, retroactive to May 7th. Here we are now, weeks later, and he's still not back. What is happening with Victor Robles in these back spasms? Yeah, I asked for an update today on him. And I think back spasms may be the wrong term for this. Maybe that's initially what uh, he was dealing with, but it seems like it's a larger back issue than just that. So that's a little bit of a problem. Good news is he went out on the field today and was doing stuff out there. He has been starting to take some swings, like light soft toss kind of swings. So he is progressing. I passed him in the hallway to the clubhouse today and, and he said he's feeling a lot better. So he had a little more bounce in his step which is something he hasn't had in the last couple of days. So he must be feeling like he's getting closer, but I still do think he's got a ways to go. And he's missed enough time now that even when he is healthy, he's got to get back into baseball shape. Again, that means a rehab assignment and all that. So I think we're a ways away from him returning to the field. And it's unfortunate that a guy like Alex Call has had to be out there every single day since it has not gone particularly well for him at the plate. I think defensively, he's done fine out there. But I think you're seeing your Alex Call exposed as a hitter when he has to play every day. That's not the role he was supposed to be in. It's not really what they were counting on coming into the season, but there's not a great alternative there other than maybe having Lane Thomas move to center where we know he struggled at times. And then you're maybe putting Joey Manessis in right field instead of DHing. Is that a move you're willing to make to sacrifice the defense for that? Maybe there's an occasion or two to do that, but I think otherwise you just say, Alex Call is going to be a solid defensive center fielder, and we just hope he does something at the plate hitting at the bottom of the lineup. Yeah, I mean, I suppose you could have Lane in center and go with Dickerson and Stone Garrett as your corner outfielders, but I mean, that's not necessarily ideal. We do know that Ildemaro Vargas can play left field if need be. I think it does stand out. The team really doesn't want Lane Thomas in center field. I mean, even with Robles out for this prolonged of a period of time, we have not seen Lane Thomas in center at all. I mean, you know, to me, yes, he's better in right than he is in center. It's not like he's atrocious in center field. He's just better in right field than he is in center field. You can play him in center field. The Nats have done that a good bit the previous two seasons. But man, they really seem to not want to do that this season. Yeah. Ever since they made that move late last year and had him take over in right field, they've been pretty adamant that that's where they see him now. They want him comfortable there. They like the arm there. And just kind of saying, okay, we'll figure out center field otherwise. And, you know, like I said, I think Call has done a better job and I think he is a better center fielder than Lane Thomas, but you are sacrificing some offense there, obviously. And yeah, there are different ways you can go about it. Do you want to let Dickerson play against a lefty? Do you want to let Garrett play against a righty? Do you want to put Vargas out there 
from time to time. I think there could probably be a little more mixing and matching here would be the answer instead of just sticking with the same thing every single day. But we see how they operate here and this is kind of what they've decided their plan is until Victor Robles is healthy. And boy, who would have thought coming into the season that we'd say, man, the Nats really miss Victor Robles, not just defensively, but offensively. He had been one of their better hitters, even though in watching him, I mean, you never felt like great about his hitting. But yeah, I mean, from a result standpoint, he had been better. But you know, it's funny, man, with these outfielders, and and I've said this to you, it may be that what the Nats have in terms of all of their outfielders are a bunch of fourth outfielders on good teams. And it's impossible right now, especially with this recent promotion of James Wood, to not say to yourself when it comes to Nationals outfielders, man, we're just waiting for James Wood and Elijah Green and Robert Hassel III to arrive at the major league level. And look, it's not going to happen tomorrow. We get that. Like, you know, we are a ways away from that, at least with the other two guys. Maybe Wood is here later this season. But like, yeah, you feel like you're just sort of treading water, twiddling your thumbs and waiting for the arrivals of the three potential franchise studs from the minors. I mean, that's kind of where you're at right now from an outfield perspective with the Nats. Yeah, it's hard not to think about that. And, you know, when you have two young middle infielders already here who are part of the future, and then you look at the outfield and you see a bunch of guys who don't profile the same way. But as I've said, you know, throughout this season, and particularly applies to Thomas and even to Robles in some ways, this is your chance to show that you should actually be part of the plan moving forward. If they don't do their job, then they're just giving Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez reason to eventually replace them with the kids. But if either of them performs at a level that says, hey, you know what? I'm already the starting outfielder on this big league team. You're now going to have to unseat me. I don't care what kind of prospect you are. So if I'm those two, I'm focused on trying to do everything I can right now to seize this opportunity because the job may not be yours much longer if you don't show that you can be a part of this, not just as a placeholder, but actually as a long-term piece of the puzzle. All right, so Jake Irvin will be the national starting pitcher for game two of this series at the Dodgers. A 10-10 start on Tuesday night. Jake Irvin, five starts at the major league level this season. ERA of 532, whip of 159. Initially looked pretty good. These last few starts, not so much. He's coming off what happened in the 8-6 loss to the San Diego Padres at Nationals Park last Thursday. Two runs in four innings prior to that 8-6 loss to the Detroit Tigers at Nationals Park on May 19th. Six runs, four earned in two and two-thirds innings. And prior to that, a two-loss to the New York Mets at Nationals Park on May 14th. Six runs in four and two-thirds innings. With the caveat of, you know, the Nats aren't overflowing with starting pitching depth, do you think Irvin is pitching for a spot in the rotation, or would you not go that far? I don't think we're there at the moment, only because we've seen Chad Cool now kind of moving into this, not just relief role, but maybe even late inning relief when they desperately need somebody. So I don't get the sense that they are thinking about him in terms of building him back up to start right now. That could change at some point. Maybe there's somebody in the minors they would look to bring up at some point. But no, I think the feeling on Irvin is they want to see some more from him. They know that he's got a long way to go, that he's still learning, that there are Certainly some flaws there and issuing walks and letting the pitch count get really up there early on is going to be a problem for him. Now, this is a very tough test against this lineup in this ballpark. We'll see how he handles that. I don't think they would make that decision based off of how he did against the Dodgers. I think they'd look more at the larger picture and want to at least give him a few more opportunities. You've got to have a clear-cut, obvious alternative there, and I'm not sure at the moment there's anybody that they say, okay, we really need to get a look at this person. Yeah, you could put a Paolo Espino or a Corey Abbott 
or a Chad Cool in the rotation instead, but is that accomplishing what they're trying to do right now with their you know, pitching staff? No. You want to see young guys more. Yes, there comes a point that you say, okay, enough's enough. He's not ready for this, but I don't think they've quite reached that point yet. Yeah, I'm with you. I think they should give Irvin an extended look here, you know, as long as he shows some improvement or at least, you know, some stability as a pitcher as time goes on here. I mean, th- think about how long they stuck with Yoan Adone last year. They went a long way before finally making that move. They're not the same pitcher, different situations and everything, but there's a little similarity there. And you would think that he'd get at least more rope than just this. Yeah. And the other thing, too, to keep in mind is so the Nats do have an off day coming up on Thursday. So Davey can get back to pushing it a little bit with the bullpen here. And the Nats in these coming weeks actually do have a decent number of scheduled off days. They have one coming up on Thursday. They're going to have another one on Monday. So, you know, not to say that Davey needs to go crazy with, you know, pulling pitchers left and right, but I think he'll have a little more freedom, especially these next two games at the Dodgers to lean on, you know, the Finnegan's and the Harvey's and the Edwards's and the Thompson's as opposed to these last few games in which Davey clearly has steered clear of these guys. Yeah, it's a good thing he saved them all, didn't use them on Sunday so they'd be available for this game Monday because this was the kind of game you desperately needed them. Oh, well, maybe not quite so much. I'm being sarcastic here. They were going to be off Sunday no matter what. That had nothing to do with today's game. But yeah, they're all available now on Tuesday and you'd like to think they'd be available Tuesday and Wednesday if the team is in a position to keep the games close. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the show, we'd love to have you on board. Email Tim Shover, see what we can do for you. That email address is NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. We also are accepting your submissions of tales of October 2019. If you want to share your experiences, your memories of the Nationals run to the 2019 World Series Championship, you can record yourself into your smartphone and then email us that file and that email address again, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. We have a website. You can check that out too, natschatpodcast.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat podcast. There are 162 games in the Major League Baseball season, and the players have a saying. Every team's going to win 54 games. Every team's going to lose 54. It's what you do with the other 54 games. It counts. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.